We finish today our journey through the book of James, and I find it interesting that it finishes the way it starts. In the first chapter of James, he tells us to pray if any of you lack wisdom to ask of God, and he finishes this letter encouraging us to pray. And Maybe that's a good reminder that all of life, every situation, every circumstance, We meet that on our knees. It's time to pray is the title, James chapter 5, and we read verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have invited us to pray. You have also commanded us to pray. And I ask, O Lord, that you would teach us the importance of prayer and the power of prayer and and how you desire that we would bow, Lord, at your feet daily and moment by moment, relying upon the grace and strength that you would want to give to us. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mart Dehan, writing in Our Daily Bread, says, When my son Ben was six years old, he had a playground adversary. And according to Ben, this, this had gone on long enough, and the only solution in his mind was to fight it out. So he said, I talked to him about the Christ-like way to handle conflict. I said, did you pray to the Lord for understanding and how to avoid a fight? He did not answer that question, so he asked again, did you pray to the Lord for understanding and help to avoid a fight? This time he blurted out, no, I don't want to pray. I'd rather beat him up. When faced with a difficult challenge, we really only have two choices. We can either face it alone, or we can face it with the Lord. Most people choose to face it alone, don't they? In their own human wisdom, their own human strength, uh, they uh, attempt to handle that situation and When they get to the point where they don't know what to do, they just cross their fingers and and hope for the best. 
James has a better solution for us, doesn't he? He tells us that we ought to face the challenges of life with the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is we get down on our knees and pray. So how many of you face the challenges of life that way? Getting down on your knees in prayer? Or are you choosing the other path? I'll just handle it myself. I can just pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm not going to use religion as a crutch, which one of our former governors said some years ago. Or are we going to get down on our knees and pray? I believe James gives us, James gives us three lessons about prayer that we need to lay hold of today. First of all, prayer is proper in all circumstances. James could have given many different examples of circumstances in which we ought to pray, but he gives three of them, and these are just examples. The first one is suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. The word suffering is the same word that James uses in verse 10 to describe what the Old Testament prophets experienced. So it seems as if his focus here is on those situations when others do something to make life difficult for us because of our commitment to Jesus. It is in circumstances like these that we need to pray. In fact, we are commanded to pray. This is a Greek imperative. He must pray. When facing those times of suffering that others bring upon us for our commitment to Jesus, we get down on our knees and pray. And when we pray in those times of suffering, what is it that we are to pray? What is our natural result when we get down on our knees to pray? Usually it's, Lord, stop this suffering, or Lord, take this away. But if you look at what James says about how the prophets suffered, you will notice an emphasis on the word endured. They endured this, verse 10, As an example, brethren of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, We count those blessed who endured. So their circumstances didn't necessarily change. The suffering didn't end as they were faithful to proclaim God's word. But God enabled them, in spite of what people did to them, to be faithful to God's word. The early church in the book of Acts really learned from the example of the prophets because God enabled them to proclaim His Word in spite of suffering. And we see an example of that in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were put in jail for preaching the gospel, and they were warned in verse 18, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What did they do? When they were released from jail, they went back to the congregation. And what did they do in the congregation? They prayed. Guess what they prayed for? It was not, Lord, take this suffering away. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they said, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Isn't that interesting? They had been thrown in jail. They had been threatened not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. And when they got back to the congregation, they had a prayer meeting and said, God, give us boldness. Their boldness had resulted in being jailed 
And now they were praying for more boldness. And God gave them boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. They didn't say, Lord, get us out of this. They said, Lord, give us the strength to be bold and faithful in spite of what may come. So our prayer, if we suffer for Jesus' sake, is that God would help us to be faithful no matter what. And that's probably a prayer that we are going to need to pray in days to come because it is going to cost us more in the culture in which we're living to be faithful to Jesus, to be faithful to His Word. And so James says, if you're suffering for the sake of doing what is right, get down on your knees and pray. Ask God to give you the strength and the wisdom and the power to endure. But secondly, we should pray when we're cheerful. All circumstances when we're cheerful. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Are you cheerful today? Uh, being ex- Expressing praise to God by singing is not necessarily uh, praying, but it, it, it's very similar because both prayer and praise are directed toward God. And so when we are cheerful, it is proper to express this to God. And this also is a command. Is anyone cheerful? Time to sing. Time to sing praises. One of the reasons why it is good to sing praises is because it is easy to forget God in times of joy. Times of cheerfulness. Times when things are going well. Do you find that to be true? When, when, when things are difficult, we are much more likely to get down on our knees and pray. When things are going well, oh, it's easy, isn't it, to put God on the back burner until the next time we face trouble? And so James challenges us here to pray or sing praises. Moses warned the people of Israel about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, that's a cheerful time, right? He says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So there is the warning. If we aren't careful, times of prosperity can cause us to kind of forget the Lord. That's why times of joy, times of cheerfulness ought to be resulting in praise. Because that helps us to remember that God is the one from whom all blessings flow, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so when we're experiencing wonderful things in our lives, it's time to to thank God. It's time to praise Him, to sing praises to Him. Has God been good to you? 
Are you cheerful today? Are you thankful for the blessings that He has poured out in your life? Then tell Him. Sing praises to Him. Not just here, but wherever. You ever sing praises when you're driving down the road? Huh? Everyone lift your hands when you're driving down the road? Just lift one of them, okay? Keep one on the wheel, but that's a time to praise Him. Don't be like the husband who said to his wife, Honey, when I think of how much I love you, it almost makes me want to tell you. Tell her. And tell the Lord when He's been good to you. So we pray when we're suffering. We pray when we are cheerful. How about when we're sick? Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what's the point that James is making here? Prayer is proper in all the circumstances of life. Are you suffering? Are you cheerful? Are you sick? And James could have given many more examples illustrating that point that it is proper in all circumstances to pray. James, who writes this, was an example of a man who believed in prayer. One author says this was a command that James personally lived out as evidenced by his own body. And he quotes from the historian Eusebius, who said that James' knees grew hard like a camel's because his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. (laughs) Are your knees like camel's knees because you spend time on your knees before God in prayer? Now, you don't have to kneel, but is prayer an important part of your life? Are you like James? So we better listen to what he has to say because here was a man that believed in prayer. And I learned from my mother that prayer was proper in every circumstance. We were driving one time on the way to Upper Michigan and it was snowing and slippery. And we started going in the ditch and the first word out of my mother's mouth was, Pray! <laughs> I don't know if we had much time to pray, but... God answered that prayer, protected us, and lo and behold, a guy came right behind us at a four-wheel drive and pulled us out of the ditch. Time of need, see, that's her first thought, was, was pray. I can still remember her trying to find her false teeth. She had uh, sores in her mouth and her gums from her false teeth, and many times, Lord, help me find my false teeth. She believed in all the circumstances of life, you pray. Do you live that way? Or are you among those who would say, if all else fails, well, I guess we better pray about it, right? We've tried everything else, so maybe it's time to pray. Prayer is proper in all the circumstances of life. The second thing James says that prayer is the privilege of all believers. Notice the emphasis on the word anyone repeated throughout here. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then pray. So what's the point? No matter who we are, 
we are invited to, to pray. Now, sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I'm happy to pray for you. But sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm just a, you know, I'm a nobody. I'm just a layman. I'm not a pastor. And, and, and pastors are closer to God. Than, you know, that is not the teaching of Scripture. Anyone among us has the privilege to, to pray. Now, it's interesting that James uses Elijah as an example of prayer. That's a bit surprising because Elijah, at least amongst the Jews, was viewed as some kind of a spiritual superhero. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, he was just one like Moses, exalted in the eyes of the people. And they point to all the, the, the miracles that Elijah performed. Along with Enoch, Elijah never died. Remember, he was taken in a chariot to heaven. John the Baptist's ministry was carried out in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And so Elijah was viewed as this kind of a, a super saint. Uh, RGV Tasker says, So wonderful did the achievements of Elijah seem to succeeding generations that he came to be regarded as semi-divine. <laughs> so I think James' reason for pointing to the life of Elijah and he says why in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So to those who were looking at Elijah as some kind of a super saint so far above them, James says, you know what? Elijah was just like you. He was a man, right? Not a god. He was a man and he had a nature just like yours. And one author points to this from the Old Testament. He says about Elijah, he could rise to the heights of faith and commitment. And he's referring to what happened on Mount Carmel, right? Calling down fire from heaven. And fall into the depths of despair and depression. The next chapter when, when uh, Jezebel was, was chasing him. He could be brave and resolute sometimes and then flee for his life at a whiff of danger. He could be selfless in his concern for others and then filled with self-pity. In other words, he was an ordinary man. Are you an ordinary person? Or are you some super saint that's far above the rest of us? We all have that nature like Elijah, don't we? And so the point that James is making is that we can go to God just like he did. Prayer is the privilege of all believers. All believers. Pastor Stuart Sylvester tells about a conversation he had with a man who was a pilot, drove a, or drove, <laughs> flew a small private plane at Toronto International Airport. I've never been there, but I would assume that it's probably a little busy airport. And he asked the pilot if he ever encountered problems landing his little plane at an airport that was dominated by so many large jets. And his friend said this, My plane may be small, but I have the same rights, the same privileges, and the same access to that airport as anyone else, even the jumbo jets. And then Pastor Sylvester made the application. He said, It's the same with prayer. 
with the believer's approach to the throne of grace. No matter who we are, or how small we are in comparison to others, or how, or how low our station is in life, he says we take a back seat to no one. No one is given priority treatment. That's what James wants us to understand. Anyone, anyone, anyone. Are you among the anyones? I hope you are. Because you are. We can come. It's the privilege of all believers, so take advantage of it. The opportunity you have every day to get down on your knees and pray and ask God to bless your life and to guide you and provide for you and lead you. Why would we not? When God invites us and commands us to pray. A third thing James says then is prayer is powerful over all things. Why is that? The reason why prayer is powerful is because God is powerful. And when we pray, we are making contact, tapping into God's power, acknowledging our need and then coming and saying, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. And so I bow at your feet. Again, James gives us some examples of this. We, we noted already uh, sickness, the power of prayer over sickness. Is anyone among you sick? He says, you call for the elders of the church and they pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. These verses, as you can well imagine, have been the subject of much discussion on the subject of, of healing. And we're not going to try to answer every single question that people might have in this passage, but, but notice the main point. What is it? That God is our great physician, and He invites us to come to Him in faith and ask Him to heal us. That's the main point there, right? God invites us to call upon Him for healing. And it's obvious that God works in different ways to heal us. Sometimes God heals through various means. And sometimes He heals from apart from any means. God can instantaneously heal us, right? Do you believe that? Absolutely. He can also heal us through various means, right? And, and we leave that up to the Lord. The word anointing in verse 14 is a word that could describe a medicinal type of anointing. Now there's a ceremonial type of anointing, but this word seems to focus on more of a more of a medicinal type of, of anointing where oil was applied to the body for the healing of wounds. We see that, for example, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember when this man was robbed and beaten and the Good Samaritan came along and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And Luke 10, verse 34 says, He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. So oil was used in a medicinal way in those days. 
And so some suggest that, that James is using that word here as well, or at least could be using that word that well. Uh, Wiersbe says this, Warren Wiersbe, the Greek word translated anointing is a medicinal term. It could be translated massaging. This may be an indication that James suggests using available means for healing along with asking the Lord for his divine touch. God can heal with or without means. In each case, it is God who does the healing. So what is James saying here? You pray for healing and you don't just ignore you know, ways in which your body can respond to treatment like, you know, oil or whatever it is. So sometimes God heals instantaneous. Sometimes he does through, through various means. Sometimes God heals or brings physical healing when we pray. And sometimes he heals in other ways. For example, the word sick in verse 14 refers to physical sickness 18 times in the New Testament, but another 14 times it refers to spiritual sickness. So that word is used in different ways throughout uh, the New Testament. Sometimes the word restore in verse 15 is used to describe physical restoration. Other times it's used to describe spiritual restoration. So when God heals us, it could be a physical healing, it could be a spiritual healing, it could be both. Where God does something wonderful in our lives as we bring our needs to Him in prayer. And wouldn't we also say that God sometimes heals in this life, and sometimes God brings the ultimate healing by bringing us into the presence of Jesus. Isn't that the ultimate healing? When we leave this world of, of sin and, and suffering and we are brought into the presence of Jesus. I remember when my dad had cancer. Now we prayed for him. And he prayed that God would heal him. And he died. So would we say that God didn't answer our prayer? I would never say that. I would say that God answered our prayer in giving him the ultimate healing. And for that we praised him. We saw that that was God's plan for him. God answered in that way and brought him into the presence of Jesus. Now, we're thankful when God heals and gives more time, right? We praise him for that. But we also praise him when a believer is set free from this world of sin and suffering and brought into the presence of Jesus. And I was there when my dad breathed his last breath. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It finished the race. It was brought into the presence of the Lord. Not long after that, I got a phone call. I started getting mail sent to my dad at our house. I don't know how that happened. He never lived a day in Maple Grove. And then I was getting phone calls asking for money from, from my dad. And I remember one day in particular... This lady called, can I speak to Herbert, Herbert Franz? I said, uh, he's not here, he's in heaven. And she said, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, what? Say that again. Oh, 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 yeah, well, yeah. And she, she hung up. 
Sorry to hear that. Brought to glory? We rejoice in that. So what do you do when you're sick? Is your first response to come to God and pray for healing? Or is that your last resort? When all else fails? We're invited to to come and ask God to heal, aren't we? Why don't we do that? Let the Lord do his work. There there was a mother who uh, gazed at her little son, Bobby. He had bumped his head and the bump on his head was continuing to grow. And and she was a bit frantic. And how did this happen? And come here and put some ice on it. And and little Bobby said, uh, just a minute. So he went into his room and and, uh, he he said, uh, I want to talk to Jesus. And so when he came out, he just went outside to, to play. And a few moments later, Mom came out and said, uh, Bobby, we've we got to put, put some ice on your head. And he said, Mommy, why don't you just give Jesus a chance first? <laughs> why not just give Jesus? So, so Mommy wanted to put ice on it. Bobby wanted to give Jesus a chance. Maybe both would be okay, huh? Use the means we have. I, you know, when I sprain an ankle, I pray, but I put ice on it too. You know, I'm not going to say, well, I have enough faith that I, you know, don't need ice. Well, so we we pray, and there's power. God has power over over sickness. Verse 17, we see the power of prayer over nature. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And what happened? It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured out rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I just think it would be easy for Elijah to be a meteorologist in those days, right? What's the forecast today? No rain. Zero percent chance of rain. What's the long-range forecast? Well, for the next three and a half years, it's not going to rain, right? And it didn't for three and a half years. I'm not suggesting we pray that God would send a drought. Um, This was part of God's judgment upon Israel for their sin, and so that request was probably not the type of request that we would uh, generally pray for. But what's the lesson here? It's that God responds to our prayers in ways that that sometimes reveal His power in unmistakable ways. Ever prayed that, Lord, reveal Your power in this situation, make it unmistakable so people will have to say, this is God. Remember the plagues in, in Egypt? Just been reading through Exodus. What did the magicians say to one of them? This is the finger of God. And that is wonderful when people have to say, when doctors have to say, I didn't do anything. God is the one who did this. And God is able to do even beyond what we would ask or think. Speaking of ice, I heard another, read another story about an African Christian who was had a raging fever and the missionary was saying, oh, if only I had ice. And so uh, 
The mother of this boy who had this fever said, can't God send ice? And then she reminded him of one of his sermons that he had preached. (laughs) Pastors don't like that because, you know, it's like, you don't even believe what you said, that God can do anything. And so uh, she says, well, let's pray about it. And so he started first and he just kind of, a general type of prayer, you know, didn't say much. And then the mother just got on her knees. She said, Lord, if ice is necessary to my son's healing, you can send it. I do believe. Amen. When the prayer ended, there was a hailstone the size of a walnut that rolled into the hut. And when they looked outside, there were drifts of Hail, local hail, didn't damage anything anywhere, but outside of their hut was a a drift of of hail. And so they took the ice and and, uh, brought healing, brought that fever down. And and in the process, the the mother uh, took the missionary by the shoulders and shook him and said, Did not the great God answer in his wonderful way? Yeah, yeah, I guess he did. Yeah. And maybe the missionary learned a lesson there that you, you never limit the power of God. Never put God in a box. As if you can do this, but but no farther than that. And, and maybe that's a word for pastors. Do you ever limit the power of God? Can't imagine that God could ever do something in the situation that we're in now because it's just... It's just way beyond him, really. (laughs) The one who spoke creation into existence beyond him. I, I don't think so. Notice finally the power of prayer over sin. Verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, And one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now James doesn't specifically mention prayer here, but it is clearly in the context, isn't it? He has been talking about prayer all throughout our text here. And isn't that a vital part of turning someone away from their sin, turning them to Jesus? We get down on our knees and we pray for them that God would would turn them away from their sin. It's a spiritual battle, right? And so we face it with spiritual weapons. And one of the greatest weapons is prayer. And turning someone away from their sin and turning them back to Jesus. Kent Hughes says, I especially remember a situation in which my wife was called to confront a friend of hers. A wife with several children, she had taken a secretarial position and her boss had made advances toward her. And she was flattered. And she decided to walk away from her marriage and go with this boss at work. He says, few people like to confront. And my wife would have welcomed an out, but there was none. So she prayed. I prayed. We prayed together. She went to confront her friend and I prayed more. When she returned four hours later, she was exhausted. 
She explained that it had been a battle. She actually felt she was fighting with the devil for her friend's soul. It was as if the devil had a hold of one arm and my wife the other. Every rationalization imaginable was argued and with considerable heat. But guess what happened? She repented and turned away from her sin and was restored in her marriage. You think prayer had something to do with that? Absolutely it did. And so when we think of the the struggles we face, the circumstances we come across, that's our weapon. That's our greatest weapon. Because there are circumstances that only God can, can make a difference. Hearts that need to be changed and only God can change their hearts. And so we are invited to pray. I don't know what your need is today, but I know what your options are. You can either face it on your own or you can face it with the Lord by getting down on your knees in prayer. Prayer is proper in all circumstances. Prayer is the privilege of all believers. Prayer is powerful over all things. Don't you think it's time to get down on our knees and pray? Father, teach us to pray. As your disciples saw the importance of prayer in your life, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you do that in our lives? Would you teach us what it means to pray? And then watch what you are able to do, Lord, how you work in mighty ways and powerful ways through ordinary people like us who are willing to take seriously your invitation in your command to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for that privilege. Would you do your work through us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.